This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I'm Dale Luganville. Thank you for joining me and welcome to this week's weekend recap and rant. Uh, man, it was, uh, it was a weekend. <laughs> So going into it, this is uh, going into our Minnesota Made Outdoors. For those of you who have been following along, for those of you that may be new, uh, Minnesota Made Outdoors is uh, a tournament ice fishing league. We fish for panfish, crappies, and bluegills. And we're in the basically right in the middle of our 2022 tournament season. We just finished event number two on Lower Prior Lake. And so going into this weekend, we had, you know, uh, Saturday, last day to pre-fish, but also on Saturday we have a, so as a off-branch of Minnesota Made Outdoors, we have also formed a nonprofit to get youth into the outdoors and more, more specifically to, um, teach, like teach them on a more, like, Let's see if I can explain this more individual basis, like how to fish. So we have on ice clinics, and then we have volunteers from our league, and even um, people that aren't in the league anymore but are still active will volunteer to be a coach or um, a guide or however you want to say it. So when they bring the kids out, and they basically one on one or one on two, and they'll you know fish with them and hopefully teach them something. So we had that clinic. That was our second clinic of the year on Saturday that started at noon. So I had just the morning there, but I took 
Um, well, I should back up a little bit more. So my weekend, in air quotes, kind of started Thursday. So I had uh, an iWork buddy of mine, Dewey, called me up and wanted, asked me, hey, are you still doing that fishing thing? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I said, I haven't been guiding a ton. I've been uh, pouring my spare time into this tournament series. Uh, he wanted to get out and catch some fish. I was like, well, yeah, I could, I could probably do that. Of course, he said he wanted to catch walleyes. You all know my opinion on that, but I actually don't mind fishing for walleyes during the winter. You know, when it really boils down to it, not to sidetrack too much, when it really boils down to, like, my disdain for walleyes, it's more walleye fishing. I love I love the, the fish itself. It's obviously fine table fare. They fight moderately well. Um, but I just when you really boil it down to there's a large swath of the time during their summer months where the way you target them, in my opinion, is incredibly boring. When you're just rigging for them, you're dragging Lindy rigs around and, you know, half the speed of smell, waiting for a light bite. And, and I get for the guys that love it, I understand the challenge involved and difficulty, which is why they always throw shade on bass fishermen. Whatever. I, I get all that. For me, my preference, that is not my fishing style preference. I just, I don't have the, it, it's too much like the winter equivalent of just sitting on a bucket and hoping for fish to come by, which I guess it's really not because you're trolling. But regardless, I I just find it boring, all right? It's just not for me. I get it, that's for you. All right, back to this subject at hand. <laughs> so he wanted walleyes, but he's also like crappies too. I was like, all right, crappies, I got you. And uh, ironically enough, I went back to our last tournament lake, which for the vast majority of the field probably would never want to go back to that lake because it was really tough. And it worked out for us because we had found some better, than, you know, the next class crappies, but they're, as far as we can tell, only in like one spot in this entire lake, and we were fortunate enough to to find them, and that's what helped us out in the event. But we, if they wouldn't have been there, we would have totally been screwed because we had we had that spot. Like that's that was our plan, and if this doesn't work out, we are totally screwed. It happened to work out, and then we took third place. But I knew those good crappies existed, so when it came time to guide, I was like, well. I know a place where we can go and we have a good chance of getting some good ones. And because it's guiding and not tournament day on for Minnesota Made Outdoors where you can't use live scope during the event, definitely can use it for guiding. And there's zero chance. I mean, any guide out there, and I know it's a, it's a, it's a big ticket price thing. And actually I'm using my tournament partner, Joel's live scope. It's not mine. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of money. You know, these things are like 2500 bucks, three grand, whatever. Not cheap, but as a guide, oh, dude, you got to have it. I mean, it, it, it you, you got to have it. I mean, it's, it just makes you um, so much more efficient, for sure. So I was able to chase these fish and stay on these fish. And they weren't where we left them. They weren't far. But if I had just, like, went to my pen and, and drilled around – I may have still found these fish just by drilling and checking with the Vexlar, but it would have taken me a lot more time. And we basically only fished, we had about six hours. Um, it was super cold that day, so we opted to fish, you know, start in the afternoon, 
right around noon and then fish in the, the dark. But we did we had success. We did catch um, 13 really nice crappies and one walleye and one largemouth. And oh, I caught a rock bass. He was tiny, but you know me and Rockies. I love them. Uh, so anyways, that was that was Thursday. Um, so I, I am on a really good crappie bite if anybody is interested and would like to go out for a day. I could definitely do that for you. It'd be north of the metro. I won't say the lake too much. I don't want to. But, I mean, obviously you can go back and figure it out by listening to the episodes. But, anyways, I got a spot. Bottom line. Um, and you can drive to it. So it's not like you have to hike through some backwoods place. So if anybody would like to go out for a day, hit me up. Send me a message. We'll, we'll set it up. So anyways, that brings us to Friday. So I decided to scout for this upcoming tournament all day Friday. And I uh, put in a full day. And I just kind of looked at the map. And I didn't check any areas that we already had. Fi- oh, that's kind of a lie. I was going to say I didn't check any areas that we had fish. But later I did. And I just wanted to expound on it more and, and really understand that area. But to start out, I started checking new areas. It's like pouring over the map. Looking at bits of structure, which is a challenge on this lake because Navionics, for as much as I love having the ability to have it on my phone and the color shading, I love it, and being able to drop waypoints and all that, has some flaws. One, the accuracy of said waypoints, the, like your GPS accuracy on that app is really not that great. It, I don't even, I don't know what the actual metrics are but it you know gets you within i don't know 30 feet maybe maybe there's sometimes i'm like i know this stick was right here and now we can't find it and i'm standing on my pin so that's not that accurate that's the one problem two their maps at times are absolute fantasy and it's like it's just like they 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 hired an artist to drop what what a lake what the lake bottom should look like because there's structure where there isn't structure and there's a lack of structure where it shows structure like it it doesn't even matter I, it just doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense and as an angler using this map going oh well there's there's a nice inside turn or here's an underwater point or here's a deep water flat and then you go there and it's not there <laughs> Is <laughs> wasting a lot of time chasing ghosts, you know, like, and that happened a lot on this lake. Apparently, the Navionics map for Lower Prior is absolute trash. There is a spot on the map that showed like this nice little, well, I guess you call a saddle or a channel through two um, shallow areas. Actually, they're because the water level is so low, it would be like an island and reef kind of channel going right through them. Like, well, that's a great corridor. I'm going to check that out. That could be an amazing place. Well, as I'm standing, looking at my map, standing on the spot where this alleged trough goes through, I'm looking at rocks, a spine of rocks sticking out of the water. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go I'm going to go on a limb and say that that doesn't actually exist. Now, I don't know. When when they made this map, was it there before? Did it somehow fill in? Somebody came along and dropped giant boulders there? I don't know. But it is not there. Like, it's just simply so wrong. It, it, like, it couldn't be more wrong. It's just, it was, it, it's unbelievable. So that's challenge number one. 
Anyway, so I'm going and I'm checking off these spots. And some of those spots turned out like that. And some of them were accurate or accurate enough. But one of the frustrating things about this lake, and it shared some with the other lake, is that um, the previous lake, is that it didn't have, like, I shouldn't say it didn't have. It had great shallow structure. And the water's clear. And without fishing it and proving myself wrong like if you just asked me like hey this i'm on a really clear lake there's good live weed growth shallow i'd be like yeah dude target those weed flats that's where the panfish are going to be that's where the bigger panfish are going to be yeah not so much not in this lake like i i cameraed so much amazing looking green weeds that held virtually no life whatsoever it doesn't make any sense i found the same thing on the last lake Giant flat, beautiful green weeds on a lake with relatively no structure. They should have been in there like crazy. Nothing. I think I saw like three perch and two red horse suckers. I mean, it's just, it, it's nuts. So the same thing. So it's like, it's a crapshoot. And then you would find a patch of weeds, maybe a little deeper, and then there would be some fish there. And you're like, I, if they're here, I don't understand why they're not there or they're there. It was it was a mindfuck. Like, you had to... It, it was very frustrating because you just had to check off so much water. And that's basically what I ended up doing Friday was I eliminated a lot of that lake on Friday with the camera, with live scope, you know, check some deep water breaks, try to find some basin fish. You know, even if you could find the basin fish, they were just moving so fast. Like, there's no way I can use that information on game day. Like without live scope, and even with even with live scope, this fast these fish are moving in this big basin. There's no way you would have stayed on them. It, it, there's zero chance. So I just was like, all right, I gotta just forget about the the big basin thing. But there was a couple like points and inside turns that I was like, this might hold a little concentration by itself, and I'd be fine if it wasn't very many, but just that better quality, like I found on the other lake. So it's like. I I didn't want to fish in a community hole, you know, which, like, I avoid it at all cost. You know, and again, as a general rule of thumb, you know, you see where all the wheelhouses and the permanent ice shacks, there are fish there, but they're generally, you know, bigger schools of smaller fish, as a rule of thumb. Well, that wasn't really shaken out for this event, for this lake. It seems like and maybe it's because it's in, you know, like a big suburb of the Twin Cities and there's just a lot of people fishing it, which there are a lot of people fishing it, that there are no hiding spots. You know, there are, there's, you're not getting away that much from, from other people. Um, at least that's, if somebody did, kudos to them because I did not find my own population of fish. So then it came down to, and this is what I talked about earlier, where I, I went back to where we'd have found fish, but I wanted to expound on it more. I really wanted to, like, know their kind of range. So I went in there with live scope, and I went, yep, there they are. And then I just would check out in different directions and find out where it stopped. Just kind of learn their territory, if you will, which is pretty good to know. But you almost didn't need a map because that territory was lined with wheelhouses pretty much <laughs> i mean it was it's basically how it shook out so i had to just get rid of that bias that i had in my head about not wanting to fish amongst other houses because that was 
from what I could understand, was probably going to be our strategy. So Saturday rolls around, hit the lake, start checking off some spots. Um, now we're starting to refine and kind of like not really searching out so much of new water. We checked out some new spots, but it's more of like just kind of dialing it in, if you will. And so I scouted up to uh, noon. I had to run over and start helping set up for the future anglers of Minnesota thing. And then Joel kept scouting through the rest of the day and just, just hoping that he would find something. He stumbled upon some Shangri-La of 12, 13-inch crappies <laughs> or bigger bluegills or something. Because I didn't really have, I mean, up to this point, it's like, well, I'm fairly confident we'll get a full bag together, but I'm definitely not confident on the size. And uh, lakes like this where it's like, I feel like the size limit is so close that it's it's kind of a coin flip where almost anybody has a chance. Um, but that's not really how it panned out. But anyways, all right, so going into it. Anyways, the, the day ends. Great time with future anglers of Minnesota. If anybody out there has kids that they would like to get into fishing and, and just not so much just get into fishing, but even if they already fish, but just have a chance to fish shoulder to shoulder with a tournament ice angler that can you know, kind of share some of that advanced knowledge with them. This is a great way to do it. Absolutely free. We always have great prizes from our sponsors out there. Um, like we gave away. And then we like, there's a, um, just a random number draw and a kid won a nice house, you know, a nice um, pop-up ice house this year. So, or this at this event and we gave one away in the last event. Pretty awesome. And then there, you know, our sponsors, there's like, P3 plastics they get and like had Vexlar hats and towels and it's just it's kind of cool stuff so very fun and informative and, and we're getting really good feedback uh, but we do want any and all feedback even if it's negative feedback you know if you've come out and you're like here's a way I think you can improve we want to hear that too so definitely um, do that but go and follow future anglers of Minnesota on social media on Facebook and Instagram I think we're on TikTok now. I'm not sure about that. I'm sure it's in the works, but might not be yet. Anyways, um, so find those, and then we do have a website. It's fam hyphen, I believe, or dash, whatever you call it. Not underscore, just the one right in the middle. Um, MN.org. So go give that some traction. We want to expand that network so we can reach as many people because, you know, this isn't necessarily for super outdoorsy people you know we're kind of trying to get those you know it's one thing if you if you if you're an outdoor family and you're already fishing every weekend with your kid it's not that this isn't for them like you can definitely still tap into that reserve of kind of more advanced knowledge from tournament anglers so it's still a good thing to sign your kid up for the for the free clinics but it's really good for kids that don't have a mentor already you know to like kid wants to get into the outdoors but the parents don't fish or they don't know any friends that fish or whatever. like this is perfect for them you know and maybe they'll meet some friends out there you know other other kids their age and then they can set up some fishing play dates or whatever so that's kind of we just want to expand that you know that reach beyond just the outdoor community you know try to get some of those fringe people so if you personally know you have family friends that have a situation like that send them our way tell them to just go like it on facebook and they'll get the updates and all that kind of stuff so that that was that was a lot of fun 
um, caught some some bluegills and actually enough bluegills. Like it's like uh, the challenge was like where are we going to set up? Because I don't want to burn anybody's tournament spot. And we had, had scouted out this spot and had a lot of fish, but not, you know, real big fish. And so in my opinion, I'm like, well, let's go here. There's a good chance the kid, kids are going to catch some fish. And any team that, if this was their plan, they probably weren't going to place well anyways because they're just not that great of fish there. So we set up there, and it was kind of on the outskirts of, like, the main villages of houses. And then the other thing we don't want to do, we don't want to, like, piss off the local anglers too much, you know by setting up, you know, eight to a dozen houses. And, you know, we're not we're not there to, like, wreck anybody's hunting hole. So this was kind of a good fringe spot. Had a fair amount of fish, good chance to catch the fish. Well, as it played out, you know, we did catch some fish, and a couple of those fish were like, I, um, I'd, I'd put that in my bag tomorrow. <laughs> like, I hope I catch a fish like that. So I was like, hmm, maybe I do need to look at this tomorrow. But uh, I just thought that was kind of funny. But the, it went off well. We always have like hot dogs, chips, and soda for the kids afterwards. Um, it's just a lot of fun. I re- I'm really, really enjoying it. Watching this this nonprofit grow. Um, that was fun. So now it's time to you know go home, charge up the batteries, get ready. Of course, I got lured into Mystic Lake Casino, which actually was kind of fun. I haven't I haven't been to a casino forever. Played some blackjack. I ultimately lost my money, but wasn't that much. I think I, it was a hundred bucks, and I actually got to play. I played through like. One of my big complaints, you know, back in the day was like, you know, you sit down at a table, throw your money out there, and you have one bad shoe, and you're done. That's and that's when you leave salty. But I was actually able to play. I think I played like eight shoes or something. And at the end of every shoe, I was up, but just a little, you know, 10, 15, 25 bucks up. And so it was fun. And then hit that one bad shoe, and gone. And uh, it's like, but it was getting late, and we went and had one more drink, and then time to go home. I did not I did not want to be up super late. A night before the tournament. Well, I guess I don't really know why it matters because I never sleep anyways the night before a tournament. I'm just my I can't shut my brain off. I'm rolling through, rolling through a game plan. I'm rolling through possible scenarios. You know, terrible scenarios. Uh, there's there's a lot of like, um, <laughs> I don't know, what else got like visions of grandeur you know when you're coming in the scales with the state record fish or something stupid like that you know my brain wanders to those thoughts which are fun um, vastly unrealistic but still fun and bottom line is i don't sleep at all it's just tossing and turning brain does not shut off and that is exactly what happened uh so get up in the morning plenty early Start getting everything ready, go outside, warm up the truck. And it was like 10 below zero. So I'm like, oh, let's hope that the wheeler starts and hop on the wheeler. She fires right up. Beautiful. Let both those things run for a while and warm up because I'm staying at my sister's house, which is really close to, like it's in Prior Lake, this town of. And so it's very close to the lake, under 10 minutes to get to the landing. And so, you know, let these things warm up. Everything should be good. So finish packing, head to the gas station, fill up the truck, top off the ATV gas tank, get bite, get a breakfast, get some snacks for game day, and away we go. Get to the launch. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Fist bumps all around. Start getting ready. Four-wheeler will not start. It was just running no less than 15 minutes ago. Will not start take the air cover off spray some starter fluid in there 
nothing. Take the spark plug out, look at it, looks decent. Clean it off, heat it up, sprayed some starter fluid on that, stuck it back in. Absolutely nothing. Will not start. Trying to trying to fix it, you know, going through steps, trying to do this, trying to do that. Clock's ticking. You know, it had gotten there in plenty of time, but we burned up all that extra time on this stupid wheeler. So Joel's got to come over, and we got to consolidate two four-wheelers full of tournament stuff onto one, which really sucks because my wheeler is the one is like the designated live well. I have a giant cooler that I filled up that morning with beautiful cold tap water to keep these fish alive because on this lake, it's a, an experimental or a special regulation lake. <clears throat> Statewide, the like crappie limit is 10 per. On this lake, it's five. So it's five crappies and five bluegills per angler. So as a team, we could still we can keep 10, 10 of each. So it still allows us to fish within the parameters of the Minnesota Made Outdoors limit, which is seven crappies, seven bluegills. If you have a limit of each, you get a bonus fish. You're going to weigh 15 fish. So we can still do that. But the challenge is it's a little tighter on lakes like this because the way culling works, you can't keep – once you get to your limit, and on, so on this lake, let, let's just stick with 10 crappies, to say, just to make it easy and not confusing. So we have a two-person limit. We keep 10 crappies. Once you put your 10th crappie in your live well, in your bucket, that's it. You're done. You can't call any more fish because if you catch an 11th crappie and while you're while you have that 10th crappie in your possession and you're rifling through the 10 that you have in your live well, you are, it's in your possession. So you are technically currently over the limit. So that's why, like in bass tournaments, the limit's always five because generally state limits are six. And so you never get to that full limit that allows you to cull, legally cull fish, unless a particular body of water you know, has, because there are some that have no cull regulations at all. Uh, once you take possession of that fish, if you don't release it right away, then that's your limit. But that's not the case here. State culling rules apply. So that was going to be a problem because this nice big cooler I have, it's a beautiful live well. Even on super cold days, it worked on um, West Rush last year. Like, all, you know, it's just, it holds a large amount of water, plus it's insulated with a cooler, so it just it doesn't freeze. Well, these buckets have zero insulation. They start icing up on the inside, and and it's such a smaller, you know, container of water. And we generally, before I got the cooler thing, we had multiple buckets. So we'd have, like, three buckets. Um, the one bucket would be, like, the the overflow kind of ones that weren't going in a bag. And then we had a designated crappie bucket and a designated bluegill bucket, which, two things, it helps to cull. You know, you don't have to dig around that many more fish when you're, when you're culling either a crappie or bluegill. But each has their own reservoir water and they're not burning up oxygen and everything else well now we have to cram all of these into one bucket and i guess in hindsight maybe at least have the buckets there but then if, if we did that we wouldn't have had room because some of the crates that we put our buckets we had to use for my equipment that i would normally put on my wheeler and we had to have them all in the one so that was a problem so even if i had more buckets we wouldn't have been able to use them cram all this stuff on there Get down to the lake, get ready, you know, meeting. It's already the the pre-meeting before the tournament's already going on. We get down there. Um, 
and I hop on hop on the wheeler, riding bitch, and I hear a snap. I turn around, and we have these brand new um, dead stick rods, snare rods built for us, and they had um, and we put brand new Akuma bait feeder reels on them, the Seamars, and yeah, I because it's just it's not a one up four wheeler, it's a regular size four wheeler, kind of crammed on there. Apparently I backed in or sat down, whatever, just broke the bale right off. Never used. Just spooled it up last night. So that's how this day is going. So already super frustrated. And this is an important event because, well, not only, you know, we placed well last event. And so now we're, we're in it. And you're still in the team of the year hunt. So you want to keep that momentum going. But this lake is also our qualifier for the NAIFC, which is a North American Ice Fishing Championship. In years past, it wasn't like that. You had to sign up for NAFC, fish one of their qualifiers to, you know, qualify to fish in the national championship the next year. Well, they wanted to make it an actual national championship. And I'm sorry if you've already heard this, but there's new people. I'm just getting everybody caught up. So this year, the owners of the NAFC wanted to make it a legit national championship. So they reached out to other tournament leagues. And so that, you know, it's more like, AFC, NFC for football, right? We're going to have select winners from each club plus the qualifiers around the country for the NFC. That's going to consist of the championship. So pretty cool. So they did that this year. And so we picked one of our lakes to be the qualifying lake, and it was this one. So it was the top five teams of those registered that were that wanted to take a chance at you know I think it was an extra fifty bucks or something to be in you know to throw your hat in that arena. So top five of that meaning if you didn't finish top five in the league, but not everybody that finished top five was signed up for the NAIFC qualifier, you could still make it. So anyways, it was very important. This there was a lot riding on this lake and it is not starting out well <laughs> uh, at all. Very bad. So we get off, have the meeting, get ready to go, tear off to our spot. Some good news, nobody is on our particular school of crappies. Well, great. We have them all to ourselves. Start drilling out, dropping Vexlar down, and we're not finding them right away. And we do find them. They're like here and gone. I mean, they're moving so fast. And the thing we loved about this spot, pre-fishing, is that they seem to be holding relatively still. Not today, for whatever reason. We did have, uh, you know, a few inches of fresh snow, post front, whatever excuses or reasons why you could think of. They just weren't doing what they have been doing the two days previous. Nothing new. Game plans change all the time. And why would we be shocked on a day like this? So anyways, we, you know, we quickly learned that if you not marking something four feet up because the crappies were suspended higher than all the dinky bluegills that you just don't even bother fishing the hole. Just keep moving until you find them. So we started doing that. My very first drop, I'm peeling off. I go to peel off line for my reel because I got like a clam spooler elite dropper. It's not like an open face where you just open the bale and drop it. You got to like strip it off. First strip, it's a little tight. I don't know what's going on. Boom, snap. Line snaps. Well, I'm not prime time. I'm not retying. So just throw that back, grab another rod out of the case or out of the rod holders, grab my schoolie reel, and away we went. And we proceeded to start catching a few crappies, but not like we had hoped. 
and size structure was definitely down too. One of the other things that happened right away is so my very first fish I catch was a fish that was just under 11 inches. <clears throat> and I was planning on keeping it. I brought it over and could not. So we have a five-gallon bucket, and it's got a screw top on it. It's very convenient for this style tournament fishing. But it's frozen because it's cold as shit. Cannot get this thing off. This crappie, the fins are starting to freeze. The eyes are starting to freeze. And I'm worried about the health of this fish because I'm if this fish dies... I'm not going to be able to call it. You can't legally, I don't care what, you're not even half to be to your limit. If the fish is dead, you cannot call it. <clears throat> so I didn't want to get stuck in that predicament because this lake has these special regulations on it. I'm fighting with this wheeler. I'm looking at this fish, and I'm like, we should catch more of these, and I just I let it go. Swims way healthy. Spend the next five minutes screwing with that damn bucket. Finally get it unfrozen. Go back, no, no, this time, let's not screw it on all the way so this doesn't keep happening. And uh, go back to fishing. Start throwing it in there. Start adding more fish to it and catch some smaller ones. You know, when we get to that, and we let a couple other small fish go, they're illegal. Like, you have, they have to be at least 8 inches. You know, we're caught some 9s, but, like, we do not want to weigh 9-inch crappies. And we were maybe overconfident, but fairly confident we were going to get 11s or bigger you know or, you know at least 10 10 and a half somewhere in there so we started letting those nines go and eventually we're like dude we gotta start keeping some of these we're not even gonna have a limit so we start keeping them and it took us a lot longer to get to our limit than we had wanted which we knew could happen wasn't freaking out too much just because of that special regulation it's like you gotta take a little bit of a risk i didn't want to put fish in there that i new in air quotes would get called because if they die you are stuck with it or at least up to 10 i mean you wouldn't necessarily have to weigh it in the tournament but it's chewing up a call spot and you really only had one of those spots if you had a fish die now now you have to stop at basically you have to stop well i guess you still stop at nine but you have now you only have a one fish insurance policy for calling because if you got to 10 well, now nah, you're kind of screwed, <laughs> you know, so, or even two dead fish, you can still stay at nine, but now you only have seven live ones to call from. So it's just, it's, I didn't, I was, that was in the back of my mind. I was worried about that element of this event. And I picked up a couple nice bluegills there in that spot. And uh, so that was good. So we, and we tore, so once we started, we did upgrade a little bit. We got some tens, tens and a halves. And once we had our limit, we're like, all right, let's go try to find our bluegills. We go to our first main bluegill spot, and it's like there's three teams on it, just and it's a small spot. So three like elite teams on it as well. We're like, do you want to go shoulder to shoulder with these guys, or should we just try to go find some of our own fish? So we elected to go find our own fish. We actually went back to that spot where we had the fam, future of Minnesota, on because we did catch some really nice. You know, it wasn't like a ton, but they were in there. It warranted enough that we would go in there and cam around. We went in there and we drilled, I don't know, 20, 25 holes, cammed around, and cammered some, some nice pumpkin seeds and hybrids. Could not get them to bite. Like they just, I don't know what the deal was, but they just would not go. And it was crazy. So we abandoned that, and we didn't know what to do. I, I kind of wanted to make a run to the far south end of the lake. Joel just didn't really want to do that. And so we we agreed to just kind of, go back to where we were like well let's go back to where we were we were catching some bluegills we weren't really targeting him you know because we were only fishing those holes that had suspended crappies in it we hadn't even tried to catch bluegills and had caught a couple decent ones there and in 
scouting, I camered a really nice hybrid there that I would love to have in my bag. So they, they were there. They're just more spread out. So I'm like, let's just go back there. Maybe we'll able to upgrade some crappies in the process. And so that's what we did. We went back there, and we were able to get our – did we get a limit of bluegills there? I think we did get a limit of bluegills there. And then we ended up going into this different cove and uh, trying to upgrade some bluegills in there. I think we did make some small upgrades. You know, we went from, like, seven and three quarters to eight. You know, at this point, I was like, would really have liked eight and a half or better bluegills, obviously in a perfect world. But that wasn't happening. So our crappies were smaller than, than we would have liked. Our bluegills were smaller than we would have liked. We did make some upgrades. And as it turns out, that first fish I would have released would have been our biggest fish. It was just under 11. And I think the biggest crappie we actually weighed was eight or was 10 and a half figures. I mean, that wasn't a big enough. Like, it wouldn't have changed much. Maybe it would have bumped us up one, one spot. But what if that's the fish? Like, again, you, now you're looking at that risk. It's not so much where you place in the league, but now you have to qualify. And so I'm kicking myself. I'm like, this this fish is going to kick us out of the out of the qualifier, this son of a bitch. So that was really irritating. So it was just, you know, and we had had some other issues. The blades kept icing up, so you couldn't drill effectively. But we went through two giant Milwaukee batteries and three small ones. Like, we drilled so many holes. I mean, that, I mean, my strategy was to just keep moving. I mean, just keep moving, try to get on, find those better fish. And it seemed to work. And so now, you know, end of the day comes, head back, get to weigh in. And you start talking to people and, and similar similar things. It doesn't seem like anybody was overly confident. Nobody really liked their size. There was one team that had one really good one, one good crappie. And, like, and I was talking to them like, dude, that's I think that's going to play. <laughs> like, Nobody, I haven't heard of anybody that has a crappie that good. And it was like a 12-incher, so it was a real nice crappie. And I, I wasn't feeling confident at all. Like I had, going into the event, very low confidence from what we had. I didn't have a strong plan. No, no fish that, you know, just jumped out at me like, yeah, we're on to good fish. Never really had that. So the way this day panned out, conf- confidence is real low. And I'm just beating myself up already. Just the the ensuing butt kicking. But as you talk to people, you're like, all right, there might be a chance. Seems like everybody else is on the same struggle bus. Not so much with the breaking of equipment and equipment not working, but just the fish that they were finding, not what they wanted. Some people didn't even have full bags. I was like, okay, full bags, that could be a thing. That could that could separate us. We at least had that. And then you start talking to you know the the consistently like top tier teams and They've got full bags, so now confidence back in the other direction a little bit. Now we just got to wait. And so we took third last event, and the way you weigh in is like flip-flop. So people who place last weigh first. So obviously we had to wait a long time for our time to weigh in. So we got to see some other good bags. And uh, we ended up coming in seventh place overall. And thought we were six there for a minute. And so I went up to the prize table, and there's a nice amp battery there and a charger. So I grabbed that. And then as we're, you know, walking back, Jake's like, oh, wait, we screwed up. You're actually in seventh place. you got to put your prize back on the table. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> so put that down. And then uh, Evan and Paul 
one. They took they had just by one place. They took sixth, and yep, Paul took a uh, custom rod from Della Bay, and Evan took my amp battery. So rude, and then posted about it today. Well, actually, Paul, Paul posted about it on Facebook. <laughs> Uh well, it is what it is. So I went back and then and in part of the prizes is just fifty dollars cash, so I took the cash. Cash money is always good money. So I'm not complaining. It's you know won something and we're in seventh place. Fell outside of my goal range of finishing in the top five for every event. Still better than last year where I think we only placed in the top ten once. So happy with that. And then it's like, oh shit, what happened with the qualifiers we look and we edged out one team by like fractions of gram like so small but took that fifth and final spot for the nfc qualifiers so we are in so all said and done the way that day started the way it continued and i'm not gonna lie there was that first hour was such it was so filled with calamity and frustration and doubt that moment of weakness, I, I, I was like ready to quit. And thankfully, Joel wasn't at least not at the same time because if he'd have said to me with a serious enough tone, like, dude, fuck this, let's just go to the bar, I probably would have done it. I mean, I was that frustrated. Um, but we didn't, we just kind of. You know, each time somebody was down, the other person was up. And this is an element, this is kind of like one of those nuanced elements of a good team. One of these, like, non-metrics. Like, you can't measure this element of the team. But we're generally both not down at the same time. So when I was down, he was, you know, determined. And when he was down, I was determined. And we were able to just keep each other in the game. And we just kept... And I hate continuing to use this term, but we just kept grinding it out. I mean, we literally just kept drilling more holes, drill more holes, drill more holes, move around, move, 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 move. And that helped. Like we just kind of, we kind of swept our, we got ourselves both in the same mindset of like, you know what? Screw all this stuff that has happened. We're going to persevere through it. Let's go. This just makes the story better. Let's get it. It is what it is at this point. Let's just do the best that we can. And that's what we did, and it, it panned out good enough. I'm pretty confident there's not – we didn't leave a lot on the lake. Like, there's not much that we left out. And so the winning team, congratulations, Alan Mario. They had that bigger fish, that 12-inch crappie, and that definitely seated, you know, plopped them in that number one spot. Um, congratulations to them. They earned it. It's been a long – I think that's their first Minnesota-made win. It's been a long time coming. They've been in the conversation many times, close many times, and they, they finally got it done. So couldn't be happier for those two gentlemen. Um, that's awesome. And they get some – they got cool – they got wood, man. They got wood. So, like, I think the first, second, and third place for the NFC qualifier got a wood plaque from the NAFC. Very cool. Very jealous. Um, so it didn't get that and didn't get any hardware from Minnesota Made. But – so that's cool. Um Really happy for them. But that did play. And so where they started, where they kind of had these better uh, crappies, Joel did scope that school out, um, but kind of, you know, just weighing the options, thought, well, let's go to this one. There's not as many people going to be on it. Because I could see up into that bay, and there was 
fair amount of people up there. And, you know, I mean, we had we had our school ourselves for the first hour or better, and that's kind of kind of what you want. And, and, you know, sometimes it just doesn't go that way. You know, like, I don't know why the size structure changed, you know, where those the bigger than average ones went or maybe, you know. The problem is I think they were there. It's just became a numbers game. Like, you just had to call through so many. And the fact that they were just moving so fast, you didn't catch as many. So it just made it harder to get that, find those upper echelon fish even within our school and so i don't point being i don't have really many regrets there's there's not many i'm not looking at our decisions that we made like we should have done this we should have done that we should have went here we should have went there really don't have much if all or any of those thoughts you know we fished as hard as we could we stuck to our plan and it was good enough for seventh and qualifying so uh, if if nothing else, I'm proud of our perseverance and overcoming the obstacles that we did. And now I have to fix my wheeler this week so it works for the next event in two weeks. And I'm probably going to need it. I don't know what the ice conditions are in this next lake. I mean, it'd be nice if I can just roll around in the vehicle, but if not, I'm going to have to use it. So I got to get it. I got to get it rolling. I mean, I, if nothing else, I have to have it rolling in two weeks for the actual event. So. I get to do that this week. Super fun times. So that's fun. Um, but yeah, that was that's that's the recap. Um, could have been worse. Could have been better. But overall, I'll take it as a a victory for my rant. So uh, not I don't can't really say that I have a rant um, again this week, but kind of a preview. And something to just talk about. So and I've seen a lot of chatter online on Facebook. People have been sharing this thing about um, new burbot regulations that are they're working on here, eel pout here in Minnesota. And it got me to thinking, I, I'm, I'm in favor of it, for sure. And it seems like most people are, which is kind of crazy. I have yet to really see somebody like, oh, I think that's stupid. It seems like everybody's on board. It's just a matter of what they determine is... So my, my skepticism comes in in this. I want actual science behind how they're setting their limits. I don't just want it to be arbitrary. Like, oh, I think uh, 3 is a good number, or I think 15 is a good number, or whatever that thing might be. And I think it's important. You know, I mean, sound... Wildlife and fisheries management should be based in science, not just on gut feelings. And so what studies are being done? Like, how are we determining this limit? Are you just going off of creel surveys and you're just going, well, here's the average burbot per angler. And if we want to trim that, we're going to trim it to this. A problem I see I mean, we might, we may very well be fixing a problem that doesn't exist, too. Does the burbot even need a limit? I mean, we don't even know the answer to that, you know, because people go out and in the peak of their spawn, in the peak of their spawn, like a lot of fish, that's like when they're the most vulnerable. And it brings them out of the deep water into shallow water where they spawn under the ice. And so you're just in contact with more of them. Um, but there's kind of a select few people that actually target them. It has been growing in years past. But is there enough fish being taken out of any body of water to actually warrant a reduced limit? 
There very well may be. I'm not saying there isn't. I just, do we know that is my only skepticism of this. Like, again, are we fixing something that isn't broken? I just want numbers. I just want to see actual study, actual numbers. Like, are we doing any sort of tagging? Like, maybe we should do a tagging survey. And I'm fine with, like, an experimental regulations that has, like, an expiration date. Like, even if it's arbitrary, even if we say, okay, we're going to we're gonna reduce the eel pulp burbot from no limit to 10 or 5 or whatever whatever they determine it should be for 5 years. And then we'll assess later. And then within that 5 years, I want to see what your plan is. Are you going to do a tagging study or a tele, um, telemetry study? Like, what netting, like, what is your plan to see if this is having an impact, negative, positive, or none overall. Because if if it's none, then why even have the limit? I mean, I guess there's better safe than sorry, but it's like now you're just, now it's a placebo. Now you just feel like you're doing something, but you're not really doing anything. Well, what's the point? Like that just, I don't, that doesn't sit well with me. And I'm a conservation-minded individual. I'm fine with it, but... I don't, if it's not doing anything, it's pointless. Like the hen restriction on mallards for duck hunting. It doesn't do anything. It seems like it on paper. It makes sense in our mind. Well, a dead a dead hen mallard can't lay eggs. Yeah, you're right. But overall, every study ever done, hunter harvest is negligible for overall population. What swings the population is uh, breeding success and food availability during migration, spring and fall migration. That determines the overall health of the population and determines how they set limits. It is not how many hen mallards got shot. It doesn't. It, it just. It's not. It's not enough to even sway it one way or the other. On top of that, here now I'm getting into a rant, and everybody that knows me knows. I, that hen restriction is the dumbest law ever because when you boil it down, the only thing it's good for is writing license, is writing tickets if somebody couldn't properly identify a hen mallard versus a drake. And early in the season here in Minnesota, we have so many eclipse drakes that look just like hens. They have not started to plume out. You cannot tell. Or it's very, very difficult on the wing to tell. And there's been plenty of times where we have we've passed up birds because we just couldn't tell. And we've made the mistake the other way. Like, oh, that one has seems to have a rest of your chest, and you shoot it, and when you get in your hand, nope, it's a hen. You're like, oh crap, now we're right, we have really got to be careful. We've got to even be more careful now. The mallard duck is the most populated duck on the planet. It is not endangered in any way, shape, or form. There are some local populations like the East Coast is struggling with their mallards. And, but they have an overall reduced limit of like one or two, not just a hen restriction, just in general. But here in the central and Mississippi flyways, the population is very strong. There's no reason to have that hen restriction. It doesn't hold up to scrutiny, to critical thought. If you think about it, it's not affecting the overall numbers. It's not affecting how the, the Fed set the framework why is it there? Why is that hen restriction there? If there is any merit to the hen restriction, why is there not a hen restriction on lesser populated species that are much more easily identified like a canvasback? You have a drake canvasback and a hen canvasback. There is 
even early on, you can tell them easy night and day. Wood ducks. Wood ducks have always had a much more conservative limit. Um, it used to be two. In some places it was one. Now it's three. But you can tell a hen wood duck from a drake wood duck on the wing. You can. Uh, so why not? You know, in canvasbacks, a lot of times you get a one or two canvasback limit. No hen restriction. You could shoot two hens if you wanted. If there is any merit, to, there's any scientific, biological merit to not shooting hens, why isn't it on those species? It's because there isn't. So it's stupid. All right, there's my rant. Going back to that, making that analogous to my Eupout rant, is if there's no basis, we do this study. We reduce the limits. We do a study, and we have found no marked difference in overall population and average size numbers for eel pout within a fishery, but you're going to keep that limit intact, boil that down. The only thing that limit then now is good for is busting somebody that's one fish over their limit. That's that. If, I don't know. I would love to hear a counter argument. Prove me wrong. If it's, I don't know how else to put it. So that's my my only skepticism is I I am pro re, you know putting a limit going from no limit to a limit I'm conservation minded but it needs to be logical it needs to be scientifically based so and I so I went online I did some digging I was trying to find you know maybe maybe the DNR is doing something like that I did not stumble upon anything I'm gonna do a little bit more digging but I did find an interesting fact about eel pout that I did not know. So they are not just here in North America. They're over in Europe. They have them in the Baltic Sea, which is uh, a brackish inland sea. And they're actually anadromous fish, like uh, trout and salmon. They will swim into saltier water and go back. You know, they'll spawn in freshwater, swim out the saltier water. Like, it's kind of cool. Well, it got me thinking, like, well, what do they do here in, you know, they're in freshwater where we don't have the brackish things. Obviously, we have them in Minnesota, and we don't have any. We're nowhere near saltwater. Uh, so they don't really have that. Well, they're just, they're one of those very adaptable species. So like even largemouth bass, you go to Louisiana. Like I went down to Louisiana, we went red fishing up in the, the bayous and stuff, and you'll catch both reds and bass in this brackish water. So it's even largemouth bass have that, have that adaptability to be in higher salinity waters, which is very cool. And redfish, as a primarily saltwater species, can do the same thing. So it's kind of a little mixing there. It's pretty cool. So they're just very adaptable um, in that way. So that was that was pretty neat. And then when you start looking at like their breeding habits and the range that like I was like oh and, and the fecundity or fecundity of the the eel pout females can have anywhere from um, eight hundred thousand eggs to like 4.7 million or something it's like that's quite the range <laughs> like and they're you know you looked at like they, they have a they're pretty fast growth rates in certain waters and they live a long time so the fecundity that's a fun word is just like their fertility or their ability to reproduce is pretty high um meaning the recruitment is probably really high too so that's something else that i think needs to be looked at Again, in this same study. But I learned a lot about this other fish, this rough fish, as that term is now starting to become a term uh, as like a pejorative now. Uh, a lot of biologists and even some anglers, like my 
good friend Patrick Patches Olson from the Lone Angler Podcast uh, is a favor of a lot of these other fishes and would like to see that rough fish term done away with because it just kind of gives a <clears throat> negative connotation or just doesn't give it value. Like you have game fish and rough fish. So people see these rough fish as throwaway fish, like they don't mean anything. But they do have a role in the environment. <clears throat> so I'm not so hardline on that. I mean, I I get what he's saying, and I, and I can't really dispute it. Um, but again, you're dealing with a large group of fishes that don't, and that is the right term, by the way. You're like, oh, it's fish, not fishes. No. Fish can be singular and plural when you're dealing with the same species of fish. So if you're dealing with largemouth, a particular type of fish, there, you know, there was lots of fish in that lake, and I caught a fish. That is true. But if I went to a lake and I caught a bass, a bluegill, a walleye, a pike, and a sucker, I caught I caught a lot of fish, but I also caught multiple fishes because the fishes delineates different types of fish. So I caught many different types of fish. I caught a lot of different fishes there. So there's a little tidbit for you, for all you grammar police that were trying to get on me. So <laughs> anyways, uh, there's just a lot surrounding that. So <clears throat> I just want it to be, again, so if you're targeting these different fishes, and these are your rough fish in air quotes, your other fish, how many people are actually doing it? And of that, how many are actually keeping them? I would say, you know, your bow fishermen are definitely doing that. But how many hook and line fishermen are doing it? So probably year in and year out, there's just not that many pounds of these non-game fish being taken out of any watershed. So I'm just thinking logically and critically here, having that, changing that name so that they have more respect and people treat them better and re- and, and return them better, is that going to have an effect on the lake? And what? Maybe it's a better, maybe it's a, a overall gross benefit, but we don't know that. Again, I want to see some studies done. And I get it. There's only so much money, and that's something that we, you know, I would like to see more money thrown to these other fishes. This is going to be great. So, anyways, that's my opinion on that. I will use that as a preview, and I have a guest coming up um, that is a big fan of these other fish, rough fish. Um, he's right here in Minnesota, and so stay tuned. That episode will drop later this week. So stay tuned for that. We're going to get into this, and I will – I'm generally on board. Like, I, I am I am pro all this. I just like to see science, science back it up. So, But I, what I will do with this episode coming up is I – and I'll warn him. I'm not just going to, like, you know, blindside the guy. But I will play a little devil's advocate with kind of the stuff that I talked about here. And I think it's going to be a really good deep – dive discussion on uh you know your different fish your your buffalo your red horse eel pout even bullheads you know often don't get a ton of love and you know stuff like that and for me i like catching that i like catching pretty much everything that swims and if i haven't caught it yet i want to um so we're gonna we're gonna get into talking about all that stuff so i'm really looking forward to that conversation and hope you tune into that one as well so i'm gonna leave you guys with that thank you guys for listening very much Oh, crap. What was I wanting? Uh, oh, yeah, before I go, shit, I should have put this in the front because not everybody sticks through all of these. But <clears throat> on Facebook, 
go to my page. I'll try to um, I think it was my personal page. I may have shared it on Full Scale Tours. I think I did. So go find Full Scale Store, Full Scale Tours. There's a link. There is a Summit Outdoors Media Group uh, page that has a poll going right now for best outdoor podcast. Smackdown Outdoors podcast on there, Lone Angler podcast on there, as well as a bunch of other ones. Way behind right now. But I didn't even know where this thing was going. When I saw this thing pop up, Full Scale wasn't even on there yet. And I was like, what the hell? <clears throat> but Lone, the Lone Angler and Smackdown was. So I added it to the poll. I don't give a shit putting it on there <laughs> anyways go on there and vote if you like this podcast do me a favor go on there vote for full scale outdoors podcast um we likely will not win but i want you to do it anyways i just want to it's a good metric for me seeing speaking of science and getting metrics it's a good metric to see uh how many listeners i have out there their engagement their willingness to um take action it's a very important metric on my end of things so go out there, go boat, support this podcast. And that way I ain't asking for money, just just your actual support. So I will uh, try to put a link in the descriptions. I don't know how many times people use those links, but it seems like everybody does it. So I'll go ahead and put a link to that poll in the description and uh, do me a huge favor and go click on that. All right, I'm done talking. Whatever your passion, even if it's catching red horse suckers. Pursue it.